From La Trobe Asia and the Australia India Institute, this is India Rising. I'm Matt Smith. In this podcast mini series, we'll be looking at the country of India, how it works, how it doesn't, and how it got to be the country that it is today. Joining me today, as always, I'm Robin Jeffrey. I'm an emeritus professor of La Trobe University. But also, there's a special guest in the studio with us. My name is Asad Dhawan, and I'm an anthropologist working at the ANU's College of Asia and the Pacific. Episode 4, Waste of a Nation. With a fast-growing population and aspirations to join the throwaway prosperity of the developed world, India generates vast quantities of waste, sewage and pollution. To explore this and how India is addressing it, Asad Dhawan and Robin Jeffrey have co-authored a book, Waste of a Nation, Garbage and Growth in India, published by Harvard University Press. This is India Rising. So can you introduce me to the problem of garbage in India? How much is there? How big a problem is it? In terms of actual magnitude, it's uh, a growing problem, but it palls into insignificance uh, next to the amounts of waste that we can produce in Australia or the United States or in the European Union. The quantities in the so-called more developed places are vast, but in India, there's been a growing uh, creation of middle-class lifestyles and consequently of the production that's necessary to make the products that middle classes like. So there's been a growing volume of waste over the last 20 years, which is catching up to a place that previously was largely rural and what waste there was could be consumed by the elements. So it's an accelerating problem for India as it becomes more and more urban and more and more middle class. Right. And simply just the symptom of having a large population means a large amount of garbage. Indeed, yeah. Uh, and I think Robin was uh, was uh, absolutely uh, right in noting that the garbage in India and the, the issues that they are facing now are of a completely different magnitude than were even 30, 40 years ago mm. because of the changing habits and the nature of consumption and the fact that uh, rubbish is strewn everywhere because there is nowhere to contain it. Rubbish needs space. Rubbish needs to be on the move. And majority of rubbish in India currently is processed in the informal markets, in the uh, bylanes of India, where people who are ill-equipped have to uh, deal with it in ways that are harming them and injuring them. Mm, mm. That was my next question. So there's an informal industry to deal with the garbage in India, isn't there? Is, is there any formal government-operated Indeed, there is. And for the last, since 2014, there's been uh, a multi-million dollar and uh, tens of billions of Indian rupees program to create a clean India. Mm. So local governments are charged with the responsibility of keeping their towns and cities clean. But the task is huge. And local governments in India are underpowered, though they have constitutional recognition, they're underpowered in terms of their authority and in the uh, the nature of the staff they're able to employ. They, they aren't able to raise the funds they need. And it's difficult to spend those funds well and uh, expeditiously given the structures that local governments work in. The responsibility falls to local government, but it's a difficult one for them to carry out. It's not for lack of good programs and good planning, it's the difficulty of executing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's an extra uh, added bonus, I suppose, to the India waste problem, as I see it. The issue, the habit of open defecation, how would you describe this as contributing to the problem? Well, one of the 
key problems in India is that infrastructure is failing and that many people who are poor and live in conditions that are quite horrid, whether it's without shelter or in slums or in rural areas, have the habit of going outside to defecate in the open. In some instances in urban areas, this is not a habit. It's they're forced to do it, whether it's on the railway tracks or in other public spaces. Mm. Now, in such densely populated areas, defecating in the open becomes a much more urgent problem. The feces, the flies, the dirt around it, it creates disease, it's infectious. People who go out to defecate in the open are vulnerable, whether it's vulnerable to the rain or the heat or the scorpions or the snakes or the prying men. Some of them are harassed by the police. Mm. So there's been a concerted effort by the government to try and eliminate, try and uh, promote toilet use. Now, the problem with that is that toilets, they need to be suitable in terms of the technology and in terms of how you educate or inform people about the virtues of going to the toilet. There's also infrastructural problems because toilets need water, where the feces itself will go. And so there's multiple issues that come with building these toilets, which the government is trying to uh, promote. Am I right in thinking that there's also a widespread preference to do this out in the open, to not use toilets? It's a cultural aspect as well? I think that's certainly true in rural areas. The idea of a a dunny, a toilet in the house or near the house is extremely unattractive. But then it was never very attractive in Australia long ago. I have people whose grandparents in the 1970s could not believe it when in Western Sydney somebody was proposing to bring the toilet into the house. They thought this was a terrible idea. Now, this is reinforced by caste, by attitudes of caste, that Mm. there are certain very low so-called untouchable castes that are expected to do this work and have done it for generations. And that's a a vicious nexus and one that needs to be broken, but is very difficult to break. So how ingrained are the Dalits in Indian life? And that's integral to the waste removal industry, isn't it? Dalits, uh, the official term for Dalits or former untouchables is scheduled caste. That's the government term. That is, they are subcasts whose names appear on a, a government schedule intended for affirmative action programs. And the very lowest of these subcasts, scheduled castes or Dalits, are those associated with manual scavenging, cleaning toilets. Mm. And they would describe themselves very often as the lowest of the low. Would, and and right? the oppressed, it literally means the oppressed castes. Mm. Now, these Dalits are charged with cleaning, whether it's cleaning toilets and openification or with recycling and de- Dealing with waste because waste itself is considered polluted because it's been touched and tainted by others. So by virtue of their caste, they're the ones who are seen or viewed as most suitable for dealing with the rubbish of society, with the excreta of society. Mm. Now this is compounded by the fact that nowadays there's much more rubbish churned by India, and much of which is toxic and hazardous. So these people are doubly oppressed in the sense that they're 
both low caste and ritually considered polluted, but they're also, in terms of class, they are the ones who are dealing with the lowest materials in society, and they have to extract value from these materials. It's interesting how ingrained it's become then in India's way of life and their society. So you've got an illustrative story in your book about Malu, I believe the name is. Can you tell me about that? First of all, we have to also consider the fact that it's not limited to these Dalits or these untouchables. It can be poor Muslims or disadvantaged groups more broadly. And uh, Malu is, is a person that I, I know for over 15, 20 years almost. He belongs to the, a caste called the Malla caste, who are just above the ritual pollution line. Right. They too have poor shelter. They live along the river uh, Ganges in the city of uh, Varanasi, and they're very poor communities. And when I was doing my fieldwork in India over the last decade and a half, one of the things that I was interested in is, is in the nicknames that people have, that the people that I worked with. And different nicknames are uh, aligned or point to different aspects of people. And Malu, his name comes from the word Mal from feces. I was asking his mother, why did you call your son, why did you nickname him with such, uh, such a degraded term? And, and she said that her previous children have all died under the age of five from various diseases, which I assume are diarrhea-related and dehydration, and that she was told by the elders and people in the community that one way to uh, shield her newborn from death is to call him by this name, feces, because the gods wouldn't want him. Mm. He's tainted. Is uh, disgusting. The name of feces becomes almost like a prophylactic against these uh, malevolent forces that would take her son away. Mm. And it also really ex- tells us a little bit about the conditions in which they lived. And what she did in order to do that, she put him in the sewage for some very short time to, again, this kind of ritual activity to render him unappealing to the gods. Hence his name stuck. And mm, today, mm. Malu, is, uh, he's got three children of his own, and uh, people still call him Malu, although he's got his, uh, a more formal name. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that that is a ritual, it's, and it's, I'm not going to say it's common, but it's not uncommon, it's still a practice thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, the, another well, name that's very common is Kachra, or Kataru in different vernacular languages, which yeah. means rubbish. Yeah. The ritual that goes that the mother puts her son on the rubbish heap, and then the untouchable woman, the chamarin, comes and takes the boy because everything that's on the rubbish heap is her possession. Mm. It's her jurisdiction. Like we said, untouchables are the ones charged with dealing with polluted materials. And then the mother comes and purchases the son from the untouchable woman for a nominal sum. It's a kind of ritual transaction, an exchange. Mm. And then the son is considered rubbish and, again, not coveted by the gods, and this gives him that kind of shield against uh, death. Yeah, amazing. The important thing, I think, with India's problems with waste, the two elements that make India unusual in dealing with the waste of a modern, urbanizing, consuming world are the magnitude of India's population and its density, which is really unequaled uh, in the world, except by Bangladesh amongst major countries, the density of population. And the other, of course, are the ideas of caste that make it just that little bit more difficult Mm. to convince middle classes to do things with their waste that will help in keeping the the general areas clean. That difficulty, I think, is uh, accentuated in India because of beliefs, practices, and attitudes of caste. 
you mentioned before the Clean India campaign. While the government doesn't have a huge role, it seems, in recycling and dealing with the waste that's done by an informal kind of thing, what role is the government taking? Modi set a target of having a toilet in every bathroom, didn't he, by the birthday of Gandhi in 2019? Next year. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, 2nd of October 2019, an open defecation-free India. And this involves building millions of rural toilets it's and ambitious. also toilet blocks. But if you go onto the website of the Swatch Bharat Clean India campaign, mm. you'll find tickers there that are rolling over every minute with how many more toilets have been built, both in urban settings and in the countryside. But as Asi was saying earlier, it's one thing to build a toilet, it's another to build a maintainable toilet, and then to get people to use it. Mm. So the quality of construction in the countryside and in the cities is important if the toilet's to be kept clean and maintained. And uh, of course, what happens to the excrement once it's been dropped into a toilet is important. Building sewers and sewage treatment plants is a huge problem, as I think developing countries are very much aware. Mm, mm. And outside that, it's not uncommon to see photos of Modi with a broom, giving the street a bit of a sweep. So what is India doing more formally to deal with garbage and recycling? Uh, should the government be playing a role? Are they leaving it to states? What's the situation there? Well, the government is certainly playing a role in terms of the marketing campaign for toilets and for clean India. Yeah, but Modi it's, can't do all the sweeping himself, so it's got to be a wider initiative of some sort. <laughs> and it, there is, it's a very much a top-down project, which is supposed to trickle down to the people. And it does have effect. I mean, more increasingly, people are more hesitant at rubbishing, say, public spaces. They're also hesitant in going and defecating in the open, but for all the wrong reasons, because they can be targeted. Mm. One of the problems with this kind of government-led clean India, it not only sweeps the dirt, it wants to sweep the poor people out of sight. And some of these poor people don't have their any options but to defecate in the open, right? And we have examples where these people have been targeted by officials who are trying to meet their own targets of a clean India and assaulted and humiliated. The people who are defecating in the open have been photographed and their photographs have been printed. Uh, so public humiliation, this kind of almost quote-unquote public execution of those who don't abide by the Clean India campaign. Mm. And this is this is simply not addressing the cause of the problem, but just the symptoms. I think the best public servants, who, as Asi is saying, are target-driven. You're expected in your district or in your, the area of your jurisdiction to have been building so many toilets in a particular period. There's more kudos as a bureaucrat if you achieve these targets and exceed them. And the people who are meeting these targets, many of them will recognize that what really is important, of course, is the follow-up, the demonstration, the education, and the maintenance. And that seems to be where the, the budget and the incentive system isn't working, that there needs to be a great more emphasis put on the demonstration, on the, the follow-up, and making the, the point to people that this is ultimately a good thing and uh, particular structures need to be built properly and need to be maintained. That, I think, is where one of the deficiencies comes in. And in some states, because India is a federation, that varies hugely by states. Some states will be doing better at this than others. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like there's, there might be an emerging civic pride aspect to this as well. Is that the case? 
Well, at least amongst the middle classes who really want to have their fair share in the sun and they want to show off India for good reason. Mm. India has got wonderful things going for it. It's an emerging uh, power and uh, many people are now traveling overseas. There's a huge diaspora community outside of India and they want to demonstrate India is like other countries, clean and green. Uh, the problem comes, of course, is uh, how do you enact this kind of what some people call a greenwashing campaigns. Mm. When I was in Hyderabad, for example, and uh, Ivanka Trump was uh, coming for a visit, all of the sweepers were uh, sweeped off the streets. Everything was uh, painted white. Poverty was something that you were ashamed of. Now, the issue is that this is part of India and the causes are um, multiple. The causes are diverse. And you need to deal with these things rather than sweep them under the uh, under carpet. Yeah. I think one of India's strengths, so we're talking about two key problems that India faces, but one of the strengths is India still, for all its difficulties, it still has a, a free civil society where there are, I think, 40,000 registered NGOs, non-government organizations, civic action groups. And some of these do really impressive work at mobilizing both the middle class makers of waste in domestic situations and the poor people who collect it and trying to improve conditions for, for all of them. And empowering the poor who collect waste. Waste is valuable. It can be recyclable. And of course, the people who collect it are looking for value. But how to make more of that value? And how, You don't want a waste picker to be thinking that all their children are ever going to be as waste pickers. You want them to think, I'm doing this for good reason because I am able to do this and that for my children, and they're going to be whatever that you might aspire them to be. Mm. That's one of the challenges. I think that needs to be met and is sometimes met much, much too infrequently. Mm. One of the many drawbacks of having a waste problem is what it does to the health of the individual and the city. So how is this affecting the health and the medical industry in India, having a visible problematic garbage situation? Well, first of all, a lot of the garbage in India is channeled into all these open landfills or what they called open dumps. Now, these places are full of uh, vermin, disease. They're unstable because of these garbage piles which are fermenting underneath with methane. And there's uh, communities who forage off these landfills. We visited several of them across India. And many of these people who are the scavengers who try and extract value from whatever waste is there in these landfills have a uh, a short longevity. Well, there's a lot of reports about uh, rife tuberculosis and other respiratory diseases, eye infections. People, when they are injured, it is infected and it's it's life-threatening. Mm. So there's very much at the bottom of the so-called waste pyramid, these are the most vulnerable people. The other uh, aspect of these unregulated and unscientific landfills or dumps is that they catch fire. Uh, Mumbai two years ago was covered in uh, smoke for a number of days as the methane and the other produce underneath the biggest landfill caught fire and just threw up clouds of fairly polluting smoke into the air to affect people's breathing. That's not infrequent. We've had these experiences in Australia. The toxic smoke is, is one aspect. Uh, the other, of 
course, is the connection between open defecation and childhood stunting. That is, children under five not growing to the size they should because the connection with open defecation is the fecal material and the uh, pathogens carried there are communicated to children and families by flies and by just the, the nature of the food that hasn't been sufficiently washed before being consumed. The children are thereby handicapped in their crucial growth years. Now, childhood stunting is one of the issues that India is trying to address, but it seems that where you can limit open defecation, you do then begin to improve your childhood stunting ratios, that is, you diminish childhood stunting. In India itself, the state of Kerala has almost 100% toilet use, it's highly literate, and its infant mortality rate and its childhood stunting rates are lower, notably lower than the rest of the country. Uh, according to the World Health Organization, Bangladesh has better rates of childhood stunting than wow. India does, which mm -hmm. uh, would surprise many people. But Bangladesh also has a far higher use of toilets. These are important sociological questions as well as technical ones. It's one thing to build lovely toilets, even in the countryside. It's another to make some of these connections that encourage people to use those toilets and then to measure the results of that use. Mm. So is there anything that India could be doing that you can see that would improve the health, that would reduce the garbage problem? You, you mentioned technology then. Is it technology that they're not exploiting what can India be doing? Well, it needs to be a multi-pronged approach. And what we're advocating in the book is that it is a decentralized approach as well, so that recycling is done at different levels of society, that recycling is giving its due recognition from the bottom up. And that begins with the recyclers themselves, those people, those poor landless migrants, those untouchable communities, disadvantaged groups who are rewarded, recognized, given the even basic technology of dealing with this waste so that they can siphon off all the waste that goes into those landfills before it reaches there and extract value and recycle it further down the chain. This is where it needs to begin. Now, this needs to be complemented by particular sets of technologies, by an empowered and well-resourced municipal authorities that are not beholden to political interests, and by relentless follow-up to ensure that people continue and understand the value of this exercise. Mm. Certainly the follow-up is what has been lacking in the current campaign. What's happened in the last three or four years is certainly a change in government. I don't think there's ever been a government that's put so much emphasis on this cosmetic cleaning up. The question is whether that uh, superficial kind of cleanup can be really embedded and made practical over the long term, that eventually in the next five years we begin to see some public health benefits flowing from that, and also improvement in the status of the people who actually do the work, mm. the people on the ground who do the work, who are insufficiently uh, valued, paid for at the moment. And that, I think, will come about when you can give them reason to be hopeful for their own futures and the futures of their kids. You don't want a waste picker to be raising other waste pickers. You want them to be raising uh, children who have aspirations way beyond that that are realistic aspirations. Yeah, yeah. But that seems to insinuate though, that the change for India would also mean quite a society change, a culture change. Yes, 
I well, think I think right. something that we have to bear in mind that India is not unique in the sense that it is now, let's say, being inducted into the throwaway society that we've been mm-hmm. in for many decades now. And we shouldn't take the moral high ground. The fact that Australia and the US and Europe are now choking in their own ways because of the ban in China is an indicament of that. I think it's, it really demonstrates to us how we have been piously recycling our own goods while continue to consume without even thinking about the consequences. And suddenly we're faced with the fact that nobody is willing to take our rubbish anymore. It's not out of sight and we're going to pay for it more, but we're also going to have to deal with it in other ways. India itself, because of the intensity and because of the rapid expansion and urbanization and the, the magnitude of the population and its growing middle class who are consuming in a similar fashion that we are, is facing this in a kind of a very intensified timeline. But we shouldn't forget that we ourselves are implicated in this as well. You've been listening to India Rising, a podcast from La Trobe Asia and the Australia India Institute. It featured Robin Jeffrey, Asa Doran, and I'm Matt Smith, your host and producer. This has been a podcast from La Trobe University. Thanks for listening.